2: Welcome to Crack the Customer Code, where your hosts, Jeannie and Adam, unlock the secrets to keeping your customers happy and coming back for more. So, Jeannie, how likely are you to recommend me as a podcast partner to a friend or family member?
1: I I wouldn't do that to somebody.
2: (laughs) Are you a detractor, Jeannie? I might be
1: a detractor.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, (laughs) everybody, this is the first and last episode.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, Uh. I think, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of recommendations, they're personal. And part of my motivation would be, I wouldn't want to lose you partner.
2: Oh, that's where that's where we're going. Okay, I got that. that's a nice that's a nice save, Jeannie. That's pretty good. And you know what's interesting about this question is we have all been asked it. Of course, not about podcast partners, but about services and goods. Because that is the foundational question. The first question of the Net Promoter System, which is, you know, as we will talk about in this interview with the founder of the, uh, I I don't know, the inventor is, I don't know Mm -hmm. what word we're using, uh, Fred Reichelt of the Net Promoter System. Uh, You know, it is now the most dominant customer service metric um, on the planet, and we both know this as practitioners. Uh, And, you know, Fred has come here to talk about how he has taken two decades of learning about you know about the system and how companies have used it how companies have failed using it uh, in staggering ways that we've all seen (laughs) and and talked about across 400 something uh, episodes uh, here Uh, and how he's tried to correct uh, you know to improve the system and give um, uh, some more more information and a different strategy for um, sort of Correcting those uh, challenges and making the system more useful and more relevant.
1: Yes, indeed, and I think that we are we are at the cusp of another evolution that uh, you know he is talking about, where we're taking in more accounting metrics and things that can really help uh, leaders understand how to gather the right type of feedback, how to act on it, how to make sure that it is really providing the value that we all know it does when you treat people well. So it's a great conversation, and I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it.
2: Uh, that sounds great, Jeannie. Why don't we hear about Fred?
1: Yes, let me introduce you to Fred. Fred Reichheld is the creator of the Net Promoter System of Management, the founder of Bain & Company's Loyalty Practice, and the author of five books, including the New York Times bestseller, The Ultimate Question 2.0. He is currently a fellow and senior advisory partner at Bain, where he has worked since 1977. Fred is a frequent speaker at major business forums, and his work on customer loyalty has been widely covered in The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Financial Times, Fortune, Business Week, and The Economist. He has made 15 contributions to the Harvard Business Review, and in 2012 became one of the original LinkedIn influencers, an invitation-only group of corporate leaders and public figures who are thought leaders in their respective fields. In 2003, Consulting Magazine named Fred as one of the world's 25 most influential consultants. According to the New York Times, Fred put loyalty economics on the map. The economist refers to him as the high priest of loyalty. Reicheld graduated from Harvard College and Harvard Business School. He is based in Cape God and Miami. Fred, what an honor to have you with us. Thanks for being with us on Crack the Customer Code. Welcome.
0: Nice to be here, Jeannie.
2: Thank you welcome fred and you are of course the creator of the net promoter system uh which has been a cornerstone of cx management for many years uh and you know before we get into some of the changes and what what you've been developing lately i'm curious about your experience with you know how it started and how we got to where we are today so can you share a bit of your take on you know where the, the origins of uh, NPS and uh, how it fits now, how it's transitioning into um, you know, modern CX management.
0: Sure. It, it, I'll go right back to the beginning. I started working at Bain & Company in 1977 mm-hmm. and noticed um, uh, an increasing set of firms. Sometimes they were clients, often they were competitors or just companies that I was considering investing in, but they were all growing faster and more profitable generating cash much faster than s- basic strategy principles would have uh, implied they could and and i finally figured out what united all these special companies they they had earned superior loyalty from their customers and employees and that was leading to a, a phenomenal economic success that accountants couldn't explain and I, as i studied it i started to see oh there's a flywheel at the center of their successes they're treating customers so well that they come back for more and bring their friends mm-hmm. that's making the employees proud to be a part of it and are, it's inspiring them to innovate and be remarkable so you get this self-generating loop that uh, accountants just you know they don't accounting generally accepted principles they don't force you to even keep track of how many customers you have let alone how many are coming back for more or <laughs> referring their friends and and it that led to initially focusing on retention rates because i like to measure things and and man it helps you build a science and manage the economics of retention was my first book the loyalty effect but it wasn't enough you know retention or defection it was, it was too late to do something about it and in many businesses, you know, purchase cycle might be six, seven, eight years. You know, if you're just looking at retention, good luck at actually learning in in real time. So we've, we've, we 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 for a real time metric to give you a sense of the health of a of a relationship. And and. I, I had this idea of I, I sort of like this golden rule notion of love thy neighbor as thyself is the ultimate <laughs> and that's the foundation of all good relationships so I'm thinking how could I measure that you can't ask somebody that you know <laughs> uh, but, but you can't ask them how likely you'd recommend this to a friend mm-hmm. and it turns out that that question gets to the core of have I been treated in a way that's so special that I'd want that experience for a loved one you know I've been I have felt the love and it it, it actually predicts repeat purchases quite well. It predicts referrals quite well, predicts how well you treat the employees and, and a number of other benefits that, that loyalty earns. So that was Net Promoter. It, it, I thought I'd call it Net Lives Enriched because that's essentially what it is. Of all the lives I touch, how many are enriched, how many are diminished? Or if you're into golden rule, how many were, felt that they were treated by golden rule standards, how many didn't? And it's that moral foundation that has an economic set of consequences that evolved into Net Promoter.
1: I love it. I love the way you just described that. And I think that speaks to so many customer experience professionals who work on these things, these sticky problems, and how do we measure and all of these things, because we care, because we want that golden rule for everybody. So thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I'm curious, because those of us who have been in this industry for a while, NPS was like, I mean, you took over like right? like NPS was <laughs> everywhere, and it became sometimes almost used interchangeably as if you are um, using NPS, then you are quote unquote doing customer experience. And I'm just curious like I I've been really fascinated by the more recent work you're doing and how you're. Putting new structure around this, so I'm just curious with kind of the evolution. What what did you see over these last few decades that you thought we have to we have to turn this around, or we have to add to this, or evolve this? What kind of prompted that?
0: Well, I was pleased to see that I think Net Promoter now is is the uh, predominant framework for measuring customer mm-hmm. success in two thirds of the world's large businesses. So it has spread like crazy. Uh, part of the reason it spread is we made it open source and the community could innovate and, and experiment and come up with new ways to, to, to advance the, the science. But it became clear to me there were a lot of bad ideas being implemented. And, <laughs> and you, know, you had people pleading and bribing for scores mm-hmm. and reminders that oh, only a 10 is a passing grade at our company. And 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 employees started hating it in Mm -hmm. some places where it was so badly misused. Then I saw companies measuring it. And by the way, it is very tricky to measure this correctly. Mm -hmm. You can't just self administer a a survey and and then expect to get a reasonable sample to respond that your promoters, the people who love you are going to respond at much Mm -hmm. higher rates. And so it completely invalidates the, the apples to apples comparisons that people are showing and, and so many people with I think hundreds now of large public companies report their net promoter score publicly to investors mm-hmm. it, wow. but they they know not what they do they're just <laughs> so screwed up uh, and and I, I wrote the book to try and get things back on track winning on purpose in there's several major objectives but one is to get these cancerous practices that are usually well-intentioned, but they're horrible, like reporting your scores publicly, not, not knowing what you're doing, or linking customer service reps' bonuses to their net promoter scores. Just, these are horrible ideas, and mm-hmm. they need to be stopped.
2: but you know that's it's i mean there's so many things where it went off the you know i'm sure your original vision and your original science just went off the rails and i saw some of that when i was in retail um and you know we've seen uh, all of us have seen it as practitioners um just uh, one thing i'd love to get your um your lens on is the idea that you know it is a net promoter system and um you know to me it has always been crucial to have that follow-up question, right? That question, what is the reason uh, for your score? And did you, did you see that that was one of the ways it had really been, um, I, don't, I don't want to use a bad word, but, uh, you know, <laughs> changed is that it just all became about the number and not the system?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people forgot that this whole thing is useless unless you have that open text verbatim explaining. Right. The customer can explain in their own words why they feel the way they do and what needs to change. That, that you know the brilliance of that feedback device means you're not leading the witness. Everybody, <laughs> you know, every analyst loves structured data. So gee, let me put a big questionnaire together and, and structure all these responses in a way I can do you know all of the regressions and and fancy statistics that that i can't but that's not the point if you lead the witness and tell them here's how you should be thinking about satisfaction you don't learn from the customer from their own experience so yes one open text response is as central to the idea of net promoter as asking one question Mm -hmm. and i I, somebody asked me the other day gee so so this um uh asking somebody how likely they are to recommend that that's the crux of your system i said oh no that's ridiculous the (laughs) crux of the system is have i enriched a life or diminished a life Mm -hmm. and sometimes a survey can help you determine that sometimes you don't need a survey at all there's digital signals out there you're you see a customer referring business to you you don't need to send them a survey to know whether you've got a promoter or not but it is this notion that we have to keep track of lives enriched minus lives diminished and if that's going to be our, our life's objective function and not get confused by profits or cost per call is as our life's objective function
1: well i really appreciate you saying that because i think one of the things that i've seen is we don't always connect the dots between you know we we talk about referrals and how important those are and how those help a business grow in kind of the best possible way, right? Like you get you get people coming to you that you aren't necessarily um, investing in marketing or advertising or all those things. And what I have seen sometimes is that um, NPS becomes just something to report on. And that is kind of handled in one part of the organization. And then there might be another part of the organization that is talking about word of mouth marketing and how important that is. And they're kind of investing in that idea, but not connecting the dots between, you know, the only way word of mouth happens is if you make people happy who are your customers, who can actually help you get those referrals. So the the new kind of approach here with, you uh, I want to get it right, earned growth and and all of that. Can you talk a little bit about how that helps connect those dots throughout the organization?
0: Sure. Um, if you take this core principle of, of the Net Promoter framework, that the only way to grow a profitable business is to treat your customers so they come back for more and bring their friends. Um, Net Promoter, the score, the survey score was was one thing that helped people uh, get a a, a real-time, it's a real-time dipstick to, in a relationship to know how you're doing, and it, it helps you track progress. But the core of this is, am I enriching lives, and am I treating people so they want to bring their friends? Um, bring, referring your friends is an act of love. It means you've had such a positive experience, and you think it's going to be a consistent, so it will happen to other people in a, in a predictable way, that so you want that for for someone you care about a friend or a relative family member that's what a referral is it's an act of love you want to make their life better and and so the notion of separating referrals or word of mouth or reputation from net promoter is absurd it's taking the you know it's the the essence of net promoter the reason i developed a sister metric to, to to buttress net promoter the survey score is I just couldn't get people to stop linking survey scores to people's bonuses and their career success so I finally you know I gave up I said I have to give them something better that they can hold people accountable to and and so I need an accounting based metric that's that's auditable and, and we can get a science of rigor around it So earned growth is just the accounting measurement of how much of your business is customers coming back for more and referring their friends. So it it takes the notion of net revenue retention, um, you know, of all your revenue this year, how much came from customers who were with you last year? And uh, and then how much of your growth came from new customers who were driven primarily because of referrals from your existing customers? And that uh, that metric earned growth rate, I believe, will become equally important as it as it becomes the accounting twin of, of, of net promoter earned growth is it, it's not the next NPS. It is a strengthening of the NPS system. Mm-hmm. And I expect smart firms will have both metrics well integrated as, as they go forward.
1: hmm. Well, and it's going to give so much more information. Um if you're if you're looking at those things in tandem uh so i think it's it's exciting to think about what organizations can do and how that will go back to that whole idea of this is going to help us enrich lives and this is going to help us do what we set out to do so and
0: mo- well most of the ways that i see marketing and sales departments um measured is counterproductive it's it's sort of cost per new customer mm-hmm. and it doesn't take into account at all whether that customer turns into a long-term asset a promoter who comes back for more and brings their friends what earned growth i think will help people realize is stop spending all of this crazy money on customer acquisition Mm -hmm. and start investing in making your existing customers happier and make them a more effective sales force for you because the the when you need lots of sales and marketing it means your core product sucks. <laughs>
1: yep. <laughs> well said.
2: Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I like because you were talking about, you know, enriching lives and love. And I was as you were talking about that, I'm like, well, I'm gonna ask Fred, okay, well, how do you make the pitch to the CEO? Right? Because it's great to talk about these things. And I in Jeannie and I definitely get your point. But yeah, it seems like earned growth is that answer, right? It is it's a number, and it can't be. Uh, I mean, I guess anything can be gamed a little, but it certainly can't be gamed like a uh, net promoter is, and uh, because of the incentives that have been set up around it, which I, you've already mentioned, uh, you know, were were a problem, right? I saw I saw that when I was in retail. Uh, if they had an upset customer, they would just simply take the person's email out of the system so they didn't get the survey, <laughs> Right. that's one of that's one of the, that's that one the tricks. Solved. That's one of yeah. the tricks I've seen. Problem solved. Exactly. Um, so you know, tying it back to actual financial results. So one of the questions I have about earn growth is, you know, I know it's new and you're getting it out there. What has been the response from leaders, uh, being able to understand it, being under, able to understand deploying it, like how, how are those conversations going?
0: There are a lot of senior people, especially CFOs who like this a lot but they recognize it's hard to measure and we don't have all the answers. Just like, you know, 20 years ago when I invented that promoter, we didn't have many of the answers either. And, and it was this open source community that solved it and turned it into a, the powerhouse that it has become. I see the same things happening. And I think, you know, cause I've been through it once in my life probably a little bit faster and more effective this time around. But um, CFOs don't have a way of measuring referrals or which customers are coming in as a result of referral. Um, they see, I think they they recognize the, the, the facts of the case are on my side. They believe it, but they, they're they going to have to be creative about either having an onboarding question for every new customer, or there's going to be an algorithm to figure out what was the primary reason we think this customer joined us, and and that has to be kept in, in track of it. that has to be tagged to the customer's file and be part of their relationship marketing database forever. And what I what they'll be able to do then is figure out what customer acquisition as, as investments are actually paying off in long-term assets and which ones aren't. So we can be much more effective in pairing back our SGNA. And you you asked, you know what are CEOs like about this earned growth? well they know there's a lot of waste in their sales and marketing efforts and they'd like to figure out what's the smart dollar spent and what's the dumb dollar spent right. <laughs> the, and, but they also I, i'm sure they're they're reading the entire chapter i wrote that that shows that all when you measure net promoter carefully we have a a, a data business now at bain called nps prism that gets really rigorous apples to apples net promoter score for every competitor across an industry and in in a few of those industries i i put in the book and, and and show the relationship between total shareholder return to investors for these companies versus that company's relative nps relative to each of their competitors and the relationship is very tight there is we have yet to find someone who is Delivering good results long-term to their investors, who doesn't also have the highest NPS in their industry, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's not a shock, right? You know, good people want to work for places that treat others right, and customer love does drive growth, coming back for more and bringing your friends. Everyone sees that, but I I think this chapter five and and parts of two are going to open people's eyes and it's just the proof they need that you just there's no shortcuts here you have to treat your customers so well they come back for more and bring their friends and now there are more tools to help people pursue that because it's a different mindset today's mindset no matter what people say they're guided by profits everything we measure that serious seriously measured in a business is, is through accounting. And accounting implies a, a, a mental model that the objective function is is profits. We want profits to go up. Now that doesn't measure how much love and value you're giving to your customers. All that measures is the greedy self-interest part of business <laughs> of what you've been able to extract from their wallets. And by making, and, and that it's a financial mindset that's consistent with maximize shareholder value, but it's not right and and companies who are continuing to pursue it are destroying their companies and and so i talk about little nps and big nps little nps is the system of getting feedback and closing the loop and learning big nps is this bigger purpose argument about why do we exist as a business um what are the economics that can create sustainable uh uh, prosperity for, for everyone, and and, mm-hmm. and it turns out that only companies who are putting customers at the center, who say that you know making our customers' lives better is our primary purpose to exist as an organization, those are the guys that are winning. And the shocking data, I don't know if you saw this part, but only 10% of business leaders today believe that their company's primary purpose mm-hmm. is to make customers' lives better that's mind boggling because it's the only path to success that I've seen in my 45 years at Bain. Wow.
1: What, you know, you're reminding me of something that I'm seeing a little bit more of, which gives me a little hope, <laughs> which is <laughs> that, uh, you know, I worked with a, a bank and they had a, a, triple bottom line and they basically decided that because they said their purpose, was about community development, and they were located on the south side of Chicago here. They wanted to invest in the community, and they also wanted to be the most, you know, environmentally sustainable organization they could be. So they had real metrics around that, and they called it a triple bottom line. And that always stuck with me because I thought, they're basically putting metrics and measurements to their their purpose, you know, not just to that profit margin. So um, I hope I'm seeing a little bit more of that. I think I my hope is that in a couple years, we maybe we'll have 15% of the people.
2: (laughs) Hey, well, (laughs) you know, I'll add to your hope, Jeannie, this is also there's also a generational component to this, because the younger generations feel more uh, like this feel uh, believe in this conversation more than our generation and the one above it. Yep. I, I, yeah,
0: I, I think there are a lot of positive things. The, the one watch out I would say is don't get confused and, and measure and measure sloppily mm-hmm. 12 different stakeholders because you right. want to be good to right. everybody. Because <laughs> yeah. we, we, we don't even measure very well how well we're doing for our most important stakeholder our customer. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we don't know how many of our we don't know how many customers we have in most businesses, we don't know how many of them f- have felt the love. Mm -hmm. and are going to come back for more and bring their friends. So the true asset in the business is that customer base and the reputation that they feel is going to, you know, what's the future of their relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And so let's put the appropriate amount of energy into getting that one right before we go into these others, which are vital, of course. But in some ways, they're second and third order uh, objectives of, of making your customers lives better let's Mm -hmm. take pollution how could you make your customers lives better by having them breathe polluted air and having terrible uh polluted water you you Mm -hmm. can't so I would solve these as ways that you can be held accountable Mm -hmm. to really making your customers lives better
1: well this has been a fascinating discussion and uh just a a thrill to speak with you about this. And, you know, one of the things that we're doing this season, we're talking a lot right now about change, right? We've been, there's just a lot of change (laughs) that everybody's dealing with. And so one of the things I'm curious about, um, is when you look to the future, what do you think won't change about customer experience in the future?
0: I think there will always be a human dimension of love that is going to be vital, even in digital businesses. There, mm-hmm. there's sort of this pie in the sky thinking right now that, Oh, I can just make my relationship, you know, every one of the, uh, uh, touch points or, or episodes or sub journeys, whatever you want to call them, you know, they're all going to be digital. Um, no, a human being designed that digital interaction and they can do it with love and care. Uh, or they can do it in a way that is uh, abusive and and continues to use profits as the objective function Mm -hmm. and so let's let's not get confused that when we say going to a digital economy changes anything that the core of the net promoter system is even more important as you move more of your business into digital relationships. And the the benefit, though, is it's easy to measure Mm -hmm. the digital tools are really opening up possibilities of of watching in real time and knowing whether you've created a promoter or failed.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for being here. And uh, how can our listeners learn more about you or or connect with your work?
0: Well, go to LinkedIn. Um, I'm pretty active there with uh, a newsletter called Customer Obsession. And I'd also go to the, uh, the, the book's website at, uh, at netpromotersystem.com. The book Winning on Purpose is, you know, it lays out what I think of the state-of-the-art of Net Promoter, Net Promoter 3.0, describes what earned growth is, and, and I think is really the primer for, for anyone, whether it's a CEO or a CSR, for living a customer-centered life.
1: Excellent. Well, we will put it. those in the show notes as well. But Fred, thank you so much for taking the time with us. Thank you for the work. Thank you for the the decades of leadership in customer experience as well.
0: Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank, uh, thanks
2: so much, Fred.
1: Well, you know, I think it's really interesting that when we talk about NPS, we often talk about it as a loyalty metric, something kind of objective in some ways. And I loved how much we talked about treating people well and leading with love and all of these things in our conversation with Fred today. I just found that really encouraging and enlightening.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, it's almost existential. <laughs> Why, yeah. what, what are our companies there for? Why do they exist? What, are, what is their purpose? We talk a lot about, um, you know, corporate purpose and company purpose. Um, and, but, you know, there's a lot of talk about social purpose. We've done some episodes on that. And yeah, I mean, one of the things you and I always preach is don't, especially as we talk about AI and all the digital is don't lose the human. You can't Mm -hmm. lose the human in this process. And that said, I'm going to go to the other side of it too, though. Um, you know, one of the things we've been talking about for years, everyone in our industry talks about is, you know, NPS, whatever whatever metric it is, is all. If it's a loyalty metric, it's always two steps removed from the money. Right. Right. It's it's like okay, well, how does that lead to retention? And then what is retention worth to me? Mm-hmm. Right. And how much did I pay to get it, and all of that? And that's what I love about this earned growth. Right. It's mm-hmm. it's really getting rid of that gap that you have to explain as we talk about the ROI of customer experience, and that's that's a bit of a broader topic, but it's still in that wheelhouse, right? It's really closing that gap, and it's doing it to, as uh, your point, to um, make it more customer-centric, right? To Mm -hmm. focus on the behaviors that will um, create these customer behaviors.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that's what it all comes back to. It all comes back to that question he he asked a few times of, are we enriching the lives of our customers? What a great, what a great thing to center ourselves around. And I think all of the work that he's done over the years and just how that has evolved as well, um, helps us get closer to that. Hopefully.
2: And 100%. you know, Jeannie, you know I'm, I'm saying it, no, 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 Jeannie, <laughs> you can't say who, you cannot say who we love right now. You have to say, you know, who enriches our lives, Jeannie?
1: oh okay thank you better.
2: thank that you all right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's our audience it's our listeners every single one of you we have so much love for thank you so much for listening to crack the customer code we are a proud member of c-suite radio so be sure to check out all the great business content at c-suite radio.com and c-suite tv.com i'm Jeannie walters you can find me at experience investigators.com
2: And I'm Adam Tiporek, and you can connect with me at CustomersThatStick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself.
1: And take care of your customers.